The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we are in Proverbs chapter 5, continuing our series on the fear of the Lord. Today we are talking about intimacy, delightful or destructive. Because Gary DeSalvo loves me, he told me this summer I get to preach on words, sex, and anger. Now, he mentioned last week, we mentioned it online, we are going to talk plainly and biblically about intimacy. So parents, if you've got a kid in here that you might not want to experience that sort of talk today, this would be a great time for them to head to Sunday school. Um, we're talking about sex in Proverbs, and we're talking about the fear of the Lord. We've been talking about that all summer long. It makes sense to walk in the fear of the Lord. It makes sense to walk in the fear of the Lord when physical intimacy is going just how you want it to be going. It makes sense to walk in the fear of the Lord if physical intimacy is not going how you want it to go. It makes sense to walk in the fear of the Lord if you wonder if you will ever be able to be physically intimate. It makes sense to walk in the fear of the Lord if you know you will never be physically intimate. It always makes sense to walk in the fear of the Lord. Because he's always worthy of our worship, our praise, our adoration, our exaltation. And ultimately, it is Jesus, not sex, that will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. So that's the context we're going to talk about this today. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Proverbs 5, and we will spend a good amount of time there. We all grow up with different messages given to us about sex. Some of us grew up in homes where there was a virtual silence on the subject, and we learned what we learned about sex in school, not from teachers, of course, but from our friends. Others of us grew up in homes where there were messages, but there were a variety of broken and foolish messages about sex, and this has greatly impacted the way that we think about it today. Some of us grew up in homes where there was a healthy biblical view that discussed this in an appropriate way, and some of you grew up in homes whose parents talked about it way too much, and even thinking about it makes you want to throw up in your mouth right now. Today, my hope is that the words that I say as I speak about this from Scripture, the tone that I use, the phrases that I use would not be offensive, but would be clear, biblical, and Christ-honoring as we speak about this unapologetically, because God created sex as a delightful gift to humanity. It is we who have made it unclean. In fact, the first chapter of the Bible and the first command given to humanity involves intimacy and marriage. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, Genesis tells us. And his plan is to spread the image of God over all the earth. So he gives a command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The first command God gives to man and woman in the context of marriage is to spread his image over all the earth and it involves this beautiful and wonderful gift of sex between a man and woman who are married. That's how the Bible starts. The Bible ends with this word picture of a man, Jesus, returning to be united with his bride. He's been waiting for his bride to be prepared for him, the church. Now, the last two chapters of the Bible are full of these images of Jesus being joined with his bride. There is intimacy throughout the Bible. There's intimacy throughout the Bible. And here is this beautiful truth. We have this joy of obedience that as we look back, we see God's command to spread his image over all the earth is filled with an incredible gift. 
Ephesians talks about this truth that intimacy between a man and a woman is this mysterious picture of Christ in the church. See, here's the reality. In the garden, sex was not the forbidden fruit. Because culture's broken, we've kind of made it that way, but that's not the truth in the garden. Sex was not the forbidden fruit. It was a beautiful and a wonderful gift, but we know because of the fall of Adam and Eve, our world is broken. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as it relates to intimacy, we have despised wisdom and instruction. From pornography to sex before marriage to adultery in marriage to sex outside of marriage to homosexuality and an unbelievable variety of deviances, we have been fools as it relates to intimacy. We've looked to sex to give us ultimate satisfaction. And while it's a great gift, we've ended up empty and envious because we've looked to the wrong gift to give us ultimate satisfaction. It's Jesus, not sex, that will ultimately satisfy our deepest desires. Jesus never had sex, but he walked the earth satisfied, filled with joy in his Father's presence. He delighted to do the Father's will. See, our foolishness as it relates to intimacy has not filled us, it's left us empty. The sexual revolution did not, in fact, bring freedom. And so Proverbs gives us some instruction, and we need instruction because we are either, as it relates to intimacy, walking away from Christ toward failure and folly, or we're walking in Christ in fulfillment and freedom. If you're walking away from Christ sexually, neither freedom nor fulfillment are in your future. So let's read and Proverbs 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll read 15 through 19. It's act, well, I'm reading in 1 Corinthians. That will not work. <laughs> Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, verse 1, starts this way. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. He tells him what to do. In verse 2, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. He tells him why to do it. This is the eighth time there's been a pattern like this in Proverbs. By the time you get to chapter 5, verse 1, he tells him what to do. Be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. And he tells him why to do it, so that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets... Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. See, Solomon is giving a warning to his sons, but he doesn't just give a warning to them. He reminds them of the great gift of intimacy in marriage. And as we speak about this today, we speak about the adulterous woman that Solomon is warned against. It's the adulterous woman because he's speaking to his sons. The same truth would apply to the adulterous man. And here's what happens in Proverbs chapter 5. That it starts with this eighth time. 
that Paul, or that Solomon rather, has said, here's what to do and here's why to do it. When Proverbs, this pattern occurs three more times and there's a key point with each time that it happens and it happens like this. In verse one, Solomon says, here's what to do. In verse two, why? What's the purpose of doing this? Verses three through six offer kind of a key point to that. They answer that question. Verses seven and eight, there's what not to do. Verses nine through 11, why? What's the purpose? Verses 12 through 14, there's a key point. And then toward the end of the chapter, what to do? Verses 15, 18, and 19, why? What's the purpose of that? And then what is the key point? And so that's how we will approach this text as we seek to look at it in verses 1 through 6, in verses 7 through 14, and in verses 15 through 19. The pattern is kind of like this. It's the logos, the actual teaching, the, the ethos, the heart behind the teaching, and the pathos, what this wisdom leads to. How do you practice this? So in verse 1 through 6, in verses 1 through 6, Solomon invites us to see the seductress for who she or he really is. See the seductress for who he or she really is. Do not be deceived. So what do we do? My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. You need to pay attention to what I'm going to tell you, is what Solomon says to his sons. Why? so that you may keep discretion, so that you may actually live a wise life, so that you may guard yourself against foolishness, and so that your lips may guard knowledge. The mouth of the wise spills out knowledge. So I want your lips to guard knowledge. It's what to do, it's why to do it. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Well, what is the point as he tells him what to do and why to do it in this first section? The point is that the promise is honey, but the produce is wormwood. Well, what in the world is wormwood? I'm glad that you asked. This is is wormwood. I looked this up and I saw, well, what, what actually is wormwood? Surely... Solomon's not looking ahead 3,000 years to this C.S. Lewis book where there's a demon called Wormwood. There actually is an herb, and the common name of it is Wormwood, and supposedly people put it in teas, and, and they like to drink it in teas. It has some healing properties. Some people actually cook with it, and so I thought I would get Wormwood. I ordered it. We had some honey in the office. I tasted the honey, and the honey was amazing. It was good. It was sweet as honey is, and then I tasted the Wormwood. I've got to tell you, I knew it was bitter. I found out since then it was a little bit poisonous. <laughs> but to, when, I, when I found that out, I, I took some essential oil and I've been fine, okay? So we're, I think I'm okay, right? But I thought, I'll taste wormwood. I'll just see. Her lips drip honey, but in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. So I put it in my mouth and I started chewing on it. And I thought, well, that's, that's not good, but it's not really bad. So I just kept chewing on it. And about 15 or 20 seconds in... I've just got to tell you, I said a prayer, dear God, how do I get this out of my mouth? <laughs> Ran to the trash can, spit it out, but the taste just wouldn't go away. I drank a bottle of water, the taste wouldn't go away, so I'm literally just looking for spoons of peanut butter, Chex Mix, whatever I can get to get this out of my mouth. It's horrible. And Solomon wants his sons to understand, you think this is going to be as sweet as honey? 
but it's as bitter as wormwood. And some of us know it from the pain of embracing adulterous relationships. Some of you even right now, you're entertaining, you're flirting, you're playing around with adultery or immorality, and you think this is going to be sweet as honey. And let me warn you, it is as bitter as wormwood. It's awful. It's poisonous. You do not want to embrace this. See the seducer or the seductress for who he or she really is because the promise is honey, but the produce is wormwood. At the end of verse 4, it says she's as sharp as a two-edged sword. If you touch this, you're going to get cut and bleed. Stay away. See, it's the warning spoken again in Proverbs, that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The promise is honey, but the produce is wormwood. So we will either walk away from Christ toward folly and failure, or we, as God's people, will walk in Christ in fulfillment and freedom. Solomon invites us to see the seducer or seductress for who he or she really is, and he tells us what to do and why to do it. And then gives us a key point. And then in verses 7 and 8, he does it again as he tells us to stay away from the folly of adultery. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Do not go near the door of her house. When I when I read that, I thought about horror movies. Some of you watch horror movies, and I do not understand why you entertain yourself this way. I don't watch horror movies. I did once, and the, the evil villain in the horror movie came out from under a bed and killed people. I saw the legs off my bed that night. I couldn't sleep. I just don't watch it. You can enjoy your popcorn, but it's predictable, and it's still scary. And one of the things that happens in horror movies is you will see the protagonist who's about to die. They're walking towards a door. The evil music's playing. You know what is on the other side of that door is some person or thing who is going to kill them with a chainsaw or axe or some other awful thing. And what do they do? They open the door. You see it happening and you go, this is just foolish. Why in the world would you open that door? Wouldn't it be great if that movie just ended if they just went... I think I'll go home. <laughs> See, we, we start flirting. We start calling. We start looking. We start texting. And the evil music is playing in the background and every, everybody around us can see it. And we still go to the door. And Solomon says, don't go near the door. Stay away from this. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Stay away from this. Ephesians, he says it this way, sexual immorality and impurity or covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Don't go near the door. Why? Because the consequences are horrible. The consequences are horrible. If we look in verse 9 through 11, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, strangers take their fill of your strength. Your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. When you go near this door, here are the consequences. Casual sex does not have casual consequences. Casual sex does not have 
casual consequences. Some of you right now don't believe this and you're headed down a path and you're going to find out and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And just like Solomon warned his sons, let me warn you, casual sex doesn't have casual consequences. When you head down the door toward adultery, toward immorality, you give your honor to others, your years to the merciless, your strength to strangers, your labor to foreigners, your very life. What's done in secret is found out. And Paul says, or Solomon says, don't go near the door. Don't go near the door. Adultery causes us to squander the gifts that God has given us. Sex is a gift. Don't squander that gift. Adultery causes us to squander the gifts that God has given us. And listen, even, even lost people know this. There's an article in Vanity Fair a couple of years ago about this app, Tinder, that is this just kind of hookup app. I think there's some dating apps that are fine and good, but this is about casual sex. Some of the young men who've used it have said, I left feeling sinister. I would end up sleeping with three or four girls a night sometimes. Girls would say we would have guys just that didn't even know us ask awful things, and it left me feeling empty. Fornication, immorality, adultery cause us to squander the gifts that God has given us. So a key takeaway would be that sin isn't worth what it costs, but repentance is possible. Sin isn't worth what it costs. It promises honey, but in the end, it produces wormwood, but repentance is possible. And Solomon warns his sons, repent, lest at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the blink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Solomon says, stop, don't do this. If you've done this, stop, turn back unless you end up right here. Sin isn't worth what it costs, but repentance is possible. I had a video that I was going to show you today and the sound just wasn't working, so I'm going to tell you about it. It was a video 30 years after one was initially seen. There's a, Gary's talked about this, I've mentioned it. There's an interview of Roger Staubach when he's about 30 years old. He's a quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys at this time. And this young reporter is talking to him and comparing him to Joe Namath. He's kind of seen as a fun guy. You're kind of seen as a prude. And Roger Staubach just kind of laughs. And he says, you guys always compare me to Joe Namath. And he's seen as a partier and I'm not. Joe Namath is seen as the guy who enjoys sex. I'm seen as the guy who doesn't. He says, I enjoy sex just as much as Joe Namath. I just have all of mine with the same woman. Great statement. We fast forward 30 years later, about 2014, 2015. Here's Joe Namath, clearly drunk on the sideline of a football game, and he's being interviewed by a young female reporter. And she asked him a question about the game And he looks at her and he says, I don't care. I just want to kiss you. And it's just the grossest thing. You watch it and you just think, oh, like I need to wash my hands. That's just awful, gross. It's disgusting. ESPN asked Joe Namath about it months later. And he said, yeah, that's not the guy that I want to be. I'm really embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And see, we play with adultery and we think, We'll just turn whenever we're ready to turn. He sounded ready to turn. You fast forward to 2019, the sideline of the Orange Bowl. You would think ESPN might get a clue. Do not have a young female reporter interview Joe Namath. But they did it again. This girl's asking Joe Namath 
what do you think about Alabama, Oklahoma, what do you think about this? And he goes, oh, I don't care, I just want to kiss you. And it's just disgusting. Sin isn't worth what it costs. But repentance is possible. And Solomon's saying, don't do this. Don't wait if you have sinned as it relates to intimacy. Because you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to go, oh, how I hated this one. My heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline the ear to my instructors and I'm at the brink of utter ruin. Oh, I didn't get to see those prom pictures. Oh, I didn't get to walk a child down the aisle. Oh, my son or my daughter is crying on somebody else's shoulder. See, sin isn't worth what it costs. But repentance is possible. And just as Solomon robustly warns his sons, he also invites them to see something beautiful. In verses 15 through 19, Solomon would invite us to see and savor the beauty of intimacy in marriage. He would invite us to see and savor the beauty of intimacy in marriage. What to do? Verses 15, 18, and 19, he says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. What great compliments to give your wife. I've, I've never said that to my wife. Honey, you just look like a graceful deer and a lovely doe today. <laughs> but listen, in ancient Hebrew poetry, this is contextually so appropriate because the doe was seen and known as an object of elegance and grace and beauty. So Solomon says... Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This word for breast is different than the word that is often used as it relates to nursing or clinical in ancient Hebrew. It's used four times only in the Bible, and it always relates to sex. And Solomon says this is a beautiful thing. And some of us hear this, and I know you think this is PG-13. I don't know if we ought to talk about this in church. And I'll just tell you, culture's talking about it. It's not PG-13. It's a Bible. Some of the swimsuits my sons have to look at this summer are PG-13. This is the Word of God, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing in the right context because it points to this mystery of Christ in the church. We'll look in just a moment at Ephesians 5 where Paul says that, that a man should join himself to his wife and the two should become one flesh. And this is a great mystery, but it speaks to Christ in the church. Covenant love in marriage is meant to be a picture of the covenant love that Christ has with His people. Verse 18 is a prayer of blessing. The Hebrew word is, may your fountain be blessed. It's like someone would pray for a son and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth at all times with delight. Why? Verses 16 and 17, because your spring shouldn't be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Don't scatter your springs, keep them for you. About five years ago, my doorbell rang at about 6.30 in the morning and I gotta tell you, that was angry. I was angry. That was before we had our our last child, or we adopted our last child when we could still sleep till 6.30 in the morning. And my doorbell rang. I had my sprinklers going because it was July in Texas. And, and somebody thought that at 6.30 in the morning, I would want to know that one of my sprinklers was aimed toward the street. 
and not that patch of grass. And so I politely said, thank you, sir, and then prayed for three years to be free from the bitterness I had about being woken up that morning. And so here's what I did. I just walked out and turned the sprinkler and I went right back on my yard. And I just, I really thought that guy could have done that just as easily as I could. I could have slept for another hour. Well, that didn't really cost me anything. But here's the thing. When we don't heed Solomon's instruction, the cost is great. Don't let your springs be scattered abroad. Let them be for yourself alone. This is God's plan and this is God's gift. So let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be intoxicated always in her love. These words really, really matter. Be intoxicated. Let this stir your affections. Let it shake who you are. Love this time with your wife. And it's in her love. It's in her love. So here is a truth that we need to understand. When we get married in Christ, our spouse becomes our standard of beauty. When we get married in Christ, our spouse becomes our standard of of beauty. So we're never, ever going to go, man, I wish my husband looked like that guy. Man, I wish my wife looked like that girl. Our spouse is our standard of beauty. Laura Bowers is my standard of beauty. She models beauty outside and in that I want my daughter to see this is what beautiful looks like, that I want my sons to see when they begin to look for spouses, this is what beauty looks like. She grows more attractive with each passing year. She grows more dear to me. Hear me, we all want to seek to be all we can be for one another in marriage. But our spouse is our standard of beauty. So through marriage and children and mission and adoption and failed adoption, when I wonder what beautiful looks like, I think about Laura Bowers. That's what beauty looks like. That's what beauty looks like. And the reason is because what's at stake in intimacy and marriage going well is much more than intimacy and marriage, though that really, really matters. Ray Ortland says, the ultimate reason for embracing and obeying God's ways with sexual wisdom is not physical or social, but spiritual. Because Paul says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. This covenant Love ought to be beautiful because Christ's relationship with the church is beautiful. It's just beautiful. This is the most vulnerable place we come in life to be with one another in this way. And so it's got to happen in the context of trust. Tony Evans says a relationship without trust is like a cell phone without service. It's only good for games. Well, this is not a game. We're intoxicated always in her love, or ladies, intoxicated always in his love. And if you're not married, then you're intoxicated by the love of Jesus as God would have us all to be. This is one of my favorite places in the world. This is in Belyatsirk of Ukraine, and it's at Pavel Marchuk, Luba Marchuk's house, our, our sister church pastor and his wife there, and that's me and Casey Burke and Yura Marchuk, Yura and I are not standing on blocks in this picture. <laughs> so we're there at the Marchuk's house and we're in this warm place on a cold night and Ukrainians hate the cold. They will tell you when it starts to get cold, they're gonna bundle up and they'll say, if you get cold, you will stay cold. And you say, how long? And they'll say, five or six months. 
If you get cold, you stay cold. This fireplace is the hottest fireplace in the world. It is so warm. There are channels that send the warmth throughout the house, and it's such a, a warm place to be, both literally and figuratively. It's a warm family. It's a wonderful place. Now, they stoke the fire off, and you can see how hot it is. That fire gets out of the fireplace, and belly at Surkoff will burn down. It's dangerous. It will not be a good thing. But in that fireplace, it is beautiful and wonderful, and it gives warmth to the whole house. Now, you might go, we're in July in Texas. I don't want warmth in my house, right? It's a metaphor, right? It's a picture. Here's the truth. When a, a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife are enjoying intimacy with one another as an overflow of a true and real, deeply intimate relationship. It brings warmth to the whole house, and it is a beautiful thing. Now, some of you have some objections to this. Some of you have objections to this, and some of them are legitimate and some not so much. We're too old. We're too busy. We're too tired. We have physical or emotional problems. We have marital problems. There's conflict. There's sin in our relationship. There's guilt and shame from the past or present sin. There's no spark, no excitement, no romance, no pleasure. We just don't feel like it. See, if it's a temporary issue that is legitimate, then let it be a temporary issue. If it's a physical and emotional or a conflict issue, then seek help. There are couples here at TBC, there are individuals who can counsel you, who can talk to you, who can encourage you, and we would love to direct you to them. If there are physical challenges to intimacy, then be as intimate as you can, as often as you can. If it's a personal sin issue, then repent and believe the gospel. If you as a couple or an individual need to speak to people, we can direct you to people who can help you. Because again, the ultimate reason for embracing and obeying God's ways with sexual wisdom is not physical or social, but spiritual. See, first and foremost, intimacy is covenant love between a husband and a wife is a picture of the even greater covenant love between Christ and the church. Intimacy is covenant love between a husband and a wife is a picture of the greater covenant love between Christ and the church. So as it relates to intimacy, we will either walk away from Christ toward folly and failure, or we will walk in Christ in freedom and fulfillment. See, Solomon invites the reader to see the seducer, the seductress for who he or she really is. Solomon invites the reader, along with his sons, to stay far away from the door of the adulterer or adulteress. Solomon invites the reader to see and savor the beautiful gift that intimacy in marriage is. And then Solomon would invite us to practice preaching to ourselves, to speak truth to ourselves and one another. He reminds his son in verse 20, why should you be intoxicated with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Don't drink another drink. Be intoxicated in the love of your spouse. Preach this to yourself. Why? Lest at the end of your life, you be that person who dies for lack of discipline and because of great folly is led astray. Well, what's the application for us today? You know, if I think of a culture that we live in, a culture from the first century that's anything like the culture that we live in, that would be Corinth. It would be Corinth. It was a highly sexualized culture. It was a sinful culture. 
And Paul says some things in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 to the church in Corinth that are revolutionary for that time. See, in the Roman Empire, a man would have sex with his wife to produce heirs. But if he wanted to have sexual pleasure, it was acceptable for that man to go to the temple and be intimate with temple prostitutes. That was for pleasure. Marriage was for an heir. And Paul actually starts by quoting a couple of poems from the day in 1 Corinthians 6. And then he points to truth for the Corinthian church. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, I think he starts in verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He's quoting a poem of the day. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. Again, quoting a poem, but then he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power so we can walk in the power of God as it relates to intimacy. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Do not go to the temple and commit adultery. That's not where your pleasure is found. You belong to Jesus. He says, never. Or do you not know that he who joins to a prostitute becomes one with her? For it is, as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, a sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know, do you not understand that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. You're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You glorify God in your body, not through adultery, but through intimacy in marriage. Well, what does that look like? Paul goes on to say in chapter 7 and verses 3 through 5, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now that first line is revolutionary for first century Christians because the husband didn't have to give to his wife conjugal rights. He would be with his wife to produce an heir, but then he would go and sleep with prostitutes in the temple for his pleasure. He didn't care about his wife's pleasure. And Paul says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, if you are separating for a temporary time, then do that to devote yourselves to prayer for something, but then come back together. His expectation is that we would be intoxicated by one another's love in marriage at all times, at all times. For we were bought with a price, so we glorified our God with our body. And as it relates to intimacy, that means if we're not married, we glorify God through abstaining from sex. If, it, if we are married, we enjoy and love this gift that God has given to his people. Don't be one with someone else in adultery. Be one with Christ and glorify God with your body. In Christ, 
Intimacy in marriage is a gift through which we can glorify God and love our spouse well. That's what it is. It's not what the world says it is. It's not evil. It's not ugly. It's a gift through which we can glorify God in the proper context and love our spouse well and bring warmth to our house. So let's ask the Lord that He would bless us with this gift. God, we thank You for the gift of intimacy. And like all gifts, God, we have been foolish and we're broken and in our culture it's made ugly and sometimes we've believed the lies of culture and not embraced a biblical understanding of intimacy. So Father, help us to embrace this understanding if we're not married through abstinence and through really enjoying and being intoxicated by the love of Christ, knowing that Jesus is enough. And as a single person, when we live out this truth and we recognize that Jesus is enough, we show Him as beautiful and wonderful and worthy. And as married people, as we enjoy this gift, we do so that the world might see the overflow of intimate love between a man and a woman, that they might know that Jesus loves His church and we are devoted to Him. For Your glory and our joy, we ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.